السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respected listeners once again we gather for the monthly tafsir of the holy quran we began from the last surah surah an-nas and we've moved backwards today we will be reading and reflecting on the verses of surah al-asr which is the 103rd surah of the quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wal 'asr inna al-insana lafi khusr إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر بالصبر by time indeed man is in a great state of loss except for those who believe and who do good deeds and who counsel one another to the truth and who counsel one another to patience and perseverance as a simple translation of this surah it's a very short surah of the quran one of the shortest if not the short, well it's not the shortest but it's one of the shortest and <coughs> it's a makkah surah revealed in the very early days of islam and placed at the towards the end of the quran most people know the surah by heart and we regularly hear it being recited in congregational prayers and we recite it ourselves quite frequently in our own salah Surah Al-Asr the surah has been named from the very first word in the surah Al-Asr and it's called Surah Al-Asr Asr means it has a number of meanings but the most comprehensive meaning is time Asr means dahr in Arabic which means time and inshallah I'll go through the verses in some detail in a moment but despite being a very short surah it's full of meaning very succinct surah of the quran imam shafi'i rahmatullahi alayhi the great imam of fiqh and hadith in islam he used to say if people were to reflect only on this one surah lawasi'atum it would be sufficient for them an imam of that caliber and understanding says if people were to reflect on just this one surah of the quran it would be sufficient for them i.e. sufficient for their guidance for their understanding for their awakening and their realization and this is why a number of authors relate that some of the companions the sahaba radiyallahu anhum they would meet just before they would part each other's company before saying the final salam and the farewell greetings they would actually recite surah al-asr to each other as a reminder so this was customary for some of the companions of sahaba radiyallahu anhum when they would meet no matter how much time they would spend together at the point of parting company before bidding farewell and saying the final salam and greetings to each other they would actually recite surah al-asr as a reminder because the end of surah al-asr itself contains the same message wa tawasaw bil haqq 
except for those who believe and who do good deeds and who exhort one another, who counsel one another, <coughs> who advise one another to the truth and who counsel one another to sabr. So this is how deep and profound the meanings of this very short surah are. That Sahaba would recite to each other just before parting company as a final reminder. So what does the surah actually say? Wal-asr, by time. Allah swears by time. Throughout the Qur'an there are a number of objects of Allah's creation on which he swears in order to attract our attention to the message that comes after these oaths. In some places Allah swears by himself. But often Allah swears by major signs in his creation. And the reason for swearing by a number of these signs is that we are invited to reflect not only on the message that comes after the oath, but also on the oath itself. Why does Allah swear by certain things in his creation? And one of them (coughs) is time. And the reason Allah swears by time is to highlight its significance, its value, its greatness. So Allah swears by time in general as well as by some of the shorter components of time. Mid-morning. Morning. Day. Night and time itself. In this surah, Allah says, Wal asr, by time, which means in general. And in fact, one of the meanings of asr is not just time in general, but the time of the evening before sunset. In other verses, Wal duha wal layli idha saja. By the morning brightness. And by the night, when it settles in its darkness and pervades and covers everything in its darkness. That's an oath in Surah Al-Duha. And then in Surah Al-Layl. وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا تَجَلَّى وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى إِنَّ سَعِيَكُمْ لَشَدَّى That surah is interesting because look at the oath. Allah says, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى By the night, when it covers everything in its darkness. And by the day when it manifests itself in its brightness and glory. And by he who created man and woman. So Allah swears by himself also in this surah. Allah swears by three things. Himself, night and day. But he swears by night first and then day and then finally by himself. In Surah Al-Fajr, وَالْفَجْرِ وَلِيَالٍ عَشْرِ وَالشَّفْعِ وَالْوَتْرِ وَالْلَيْلِ إِذَا يَسْرِ هَلْ فِي ذَلِكَ قَسَمُ الَّذِي حِجْرِ By the morning and by the ten nights. وَالشَّفْعِ وَالْوَتْرِ And by the even and by the odd. And by the night, when it carries, when it travels, when it moves, in its timing. هَلْ فِي ذَلِكَ قَسَمُ الَّذِي حِجْرَ After swearing by the night, by the ten nights, after swearing by the morning, Allah has, and the odd and the even, Allah has says, هَلْ فِي ذَلِكَ قَسَمُ الَّذِي حِجْرَ Is there an oath in this? For one of intelligence. So these oaths, the, these items and objects by which Allah swears in the Quran, especially in relation to, well, all of the oaths, but including the oaths of time, they are designed to attract our attention. Not just to the message that comes after the oath, but to attract our attention and to invite us to reflect and ponder over the oath itself. And throughout the Qur'an, whenever Allah mentions verses such as 
There are signs in this or in these things for those who possess intelligence. Such as here, he also says, is there an oath in this for one of intelligence? Many of the ulama would say that if we reflect on the verses of the Qur'an, and we are unable to marvel at their majesty, at their beauty, at the depth of their meaning, then we should question our intelligence, not the message of the Qur'an itself. Because Allah says repeatedly, again and again, that in this there are signs for those who possess intelligence. In this there are signs for those of understanding. And here again, Is there an oath in this? For one of intelligence. So if we do possess intelligence and a true insight, we will be able to appreciate not just the message after the oath, but the oath itself. <coughs> and the reason Allah invites us, to uh, the reason, one of the reasons why Allah swears by time and its various components, is because indeed time is one of the most precious gifts and signs of Allah's creation. Allah has given us time, not just as a sign, but as a gift. And in various verses, Allah, for instance, in one verse, Allah says, وَجَعَلْنَا اللَّيْلَ وَالنَّهَارَ آيَةً وَجَعَلْنَا اللَّيْلَ وَالنَّهَارَ آيَتَيْنَ فَمَحْوْنَا آيَةً اللَّيْلَ Rather long verse in which Allah says, and indeed, we have made the night and the day two signs. Then we obliterated the night, the sign of the night, i.e. we darkened it. And we made the sign of the day bright, so that you may seek Allah's bounty therein. And so that you may come to know the calculation of years. So that you may come to know the count of years and calculation. And indeed, we have expanded every single thing. So, the passage of time, night, day, the components of time, all of these are actually a great sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another verse, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ اللَّيْلُ وَالنَّهَارُ وَالشَّمْسُ وَالْقَمَرُ And amongst the signs are the day and the night and the sun and the moon. If we are unable to appreciate these signs, then we should question our own insight and intelligence rather than the message of the Qur'an. Since Allah says... Are there signs in this for those of intelligence? And in one verse before I move on, in the Fihulk is Samawat, well, Urdi Wachtilaf, Layla, one Nahar, La Ayatil, the Ulil Albab, Aladini, the Kuruna, La Hakiam, Rudan, Wala, Junubim, wait for Kuruna, Fihulk is Samawat, well, Urd, Robbana, Mahalukta, Hada, Bartila, Subhana, Kafakina, Adab, Nahar. These are the verses which, which the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would recite when he would rise for the Hajjid in the middle of the night. And what are the verses of Surah Al Imran? Indeed, in the creation of the heavens and the earth, in the fi khalq al-samawati wal-ard, waqtilaf al-layl wal-nahar, and in the alternating of the night and the day, la ayat al-li al-albab, there are surely signs for those of intelligence, those who remember Allah, whilst standing, whilst seated, and whilst lying on their sides, and who reflect. On the creation of the heavens and the earth, and who exclaim, Rabbana ma khalaqta hadha batila, oh our Lord, you have not created all of this in vanity and falsehood. May you be glorified. So protect us from the fire, punishment of the fire. So again in that verse, Allah says, indeed in the creation of the heavens and the earth, and in the alternating of night and day, there are signs for those who possess intelligence. So time, with all its components, whether we're just talking about Fajr, the morning, or Duha, the morning brightness, from early morning to late morning, or whether we're talking about Asr, the time in the evening before sunset, whether we're talking about the whole day or the, the night, or whether we talk about time in its vastness. All of this is a sign of Allah's creation, and not just a sign, but a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Time is a gift. If only we would realize it. And that's why Allah Azza wa says here, وَالْعَصْرِ By time, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ 
Indeed, man is in a great loss. And in fact, his greatest loss is to do with time. Since we don't, since man does not understand the value of time, its precious nature, his greatest loss, his greatest deception is in relation to time. That's why in a hadith <coughs> related by Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas and recorded by most authors of hadith including Imam Bukhari and others. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says Ni'matan maghmoonun fihima kathirun minan nas as-sihtu wal-faraag There are two great blessings in which many people are at a loss. Health and free time. Most people, many people are at a loss when it comes to health and when it comes to free time. I'll expand on this hadith later. But it just shows that indeed man is in a great state of loss. We, time is a precious gift. And it's something which is irretrievable. Everything else can be compensated for, except the loss of time. Allah has given us, every single human being, has a limited amount of energy and a limited amount of time which they have been allocated to spend in the world. Every second counts, every second, every moment matters. And it's what we actually do with that time. Often we spend an entire life pursuing goals and objectives which are futile, fruitless and worthless. And we only come to realise towards the end of our lives. Or when it's too late. A person can lose a job. They can find employment or become self-employed. It may not be easy, but it's still possible. A person may actually suffer bereavement and lose a loved one. But if a person loses a family, there are other family members who are present who can compensate for that loss. We all suffer loss, whether it's to do with marriage and divorce, whether it's to do with love and relationships, whether it's to do with wealth and money and belongings and possessions, whether it's to do with something even more serious, such as children, family, if we suffer personal bereavement. Indeed, all of these things constitute a great loss. In fact, a person can lose a limb, and yet still, they are able to compensate for that loss through other means. In this day of discovery and technology, we can have artificial limbs. Even people with severe disabilities can still function and try to lead a normal life. It may not be as good as uh, the life of someone who's not completely disabled, but they are still able to compensate. Whatever loss we may suffer, whether it's to do with a limb, whether it's to do with wealth, money or possessions, a lot can be compensated for. But for every moment, every second, every minute that passes, that second has been lost irretrievably. Never will we be... The, the wealth and the strength and the power of the universe together, collectively, cannot retrieve that lost moment for any human being. For no one. This is why time is so valuable, so precious... And the strange thing is, we save pennies and squander pounds. We're always trying to save money. We're always calculating whether we make a loss, whether we don't. And in fact, throughout the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the language of trade. Because that's what human beings are like. We understand loss and gain Profit and loss through the language of money, of trading, of commerce, of buying and selling. And so throughout the Qur'an, Allah has actually used that language to help us understand. In one verse, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْرِي نَفْسَهُ اللَّهِ 
And they are those of the people who sell their souls, seeking the pleasure of Allah. In another verse, إِنَّ اللَّهَ اشْتَرَى مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ أَنفُسَهُمْ وَأَمْوَالَهُمْ بِأَنَّ لَهُمُ الْجَنَّةِ Indeed, Allah has purchased the, the souls and the wealth of the believers in return for Jannah. In a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Allah in the silatullahi ghaliya, Allah in the silatullahi ghaliya. Know that the product of Allah is expensive. Know that the product of Allah is expensive. And what does the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam refer to as the product which is expensive? The product of Allah which is expensive. What does he refer to in the hadith? Jannah. Prophet ﷺ says Jannah, he doesn't, not in as many words, but he's speaking of Jannah, and he says indeed the product of Allah referring to Jannah is expensive. And there are countless verses throughout the Qur'an, in one verse speaking about those who were misguided, فَمَا رَبِحَتْ تِجَارَتُهُمْ Their trade was not profitable. <coughs> those who sell, those who purchase misguidance and give Guidance in payment. Those who purchase the life of the world and who sell and give in exchange their life of the hereafter. Such people, their trade was not profitable. So the language of trade and commerce is one which helps us understand. And that's what Allah has used here. And same in the hadith as well. Allah says, by time, indeed, man is in a great loss. And in the hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma, ni'matan maghboonun fihima kathirun minan nas, as-sihatu wal-faragh, there are two blessings. Many people are at a great loss in these blessings. And those two blessings are, as-sihah, health, wal-faragh, and free time. And I will still expand on that hadith later. So Allah tells us that man, Allah swears by time and says by time, man is in a state of great loss. And one of the reasons why a person is in a state of great loss is that with the passage of time, we deteriorate. It's the law of the universe that things with the passage of time don't necessarily improve not by themselves, but the innate, inherent law and property of every, every single thing is that it decays and deteriorates. Minerals decay and deteriorate. Items decay and deteriorate. Matter decays and deteriorates over time. There is always a decline, a deterioration, a decay. A loss. And this continues. And it has a snowball effect. Now, this is true for a human being. In every way. Mentally, physically. Physically. A person reaches a certain age. After which, one witnesses a physical deterioration and a decaying of the body. And a decaying of the faculties of the mind. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says <coughs> in Surah Yaseen, وَمَن نُعَمِّرْهُ نُنَكِسْهُ فِي الْخَلْقِ And whoever we give age, we flip him, i.e. we reverse him in creation. As we get older, we witness a natural decay and deterioration in our physique, in our strength, in our natural abilities. And that's the same for the brain. No matter how intelligent, how sharp, the brain undergoes decay and deterioration and a decline. And although we witness this decline, this decay and this deterioration in everything else, there's one thing of which we are negligent and neglectful. Even though there is decay and deterioration there also. And that is in the spiritual state of man. Just as a person decays and deteriorates and declines physically and mentally, his or her spirituality also decays and deteriorates. Since the innate, inherent, natural, intrinsic property of everything 
is to decay and to deteriorate. When we are born, we are born in a pure spiritual state. But from the moment of birth, our environment affects us. It influences us. And depending on the environment, a person can improve or suffer a decline and deterioration. And as a person grows older, there is that natural decay, decline and deterioration. There's no inertia. What I, what I mean is, <clears throat> one shouldn't think that if I'm not exposed to ill influences, then I won't become any worse. I will remain, I may not become better, but I won't become worse. So I won't be, I won't witness any decline or decay or deterioration in my spiritual state. So our reasoning is, if I'm exposed to good influences, I will improve. If I'm exposed to ill influences, I will deteriorate and I will suffer a spiritual decline. But if I'm neither exposed to good nor evil, I will remain in a constant state of spirituality, neither for the worse nor for the better. That's untrue. The reason is, if, a, if anyone or anything is left in its natural state without any influence, they will still suffer decay and decline. There is no inertia. There is only one constant in the universe, and that one constant is change. And a person continues to change all the time. And unless there is something positive in the environment or in the surroundings, that change won't be for the better, it'll be for the worse. It will be a gradual deterioration. This is the meaning of By time, indeed, man is in a state of loss. He undergoes deterioration, decay and decline. Not just physically and mentally, most importantly, spiritually. In fact, that's mentioned in another verse of the Qur'an in much more clearer terms. Allah says, Allah swears by three things again in His creation. By the fig and the olive. And by Mount Sinai. And by this secure city. So in the second verse, Allah swears by Mount Sinai. In the third verse, Allah swears by Mount, uh, Allah swears by the city, sacred and secure city of Mecca. But in the first verse, Allah swears by the fig and the olive. So what's the connection between the fig and the olive and Mount Sinai and the sacred secure city of Mecca? In reality, this is a metaphor. The fig and the olive are both references to another sacred place. Just as in the third verse, Allah swears by the sacred and secure city of Makkah al-Mukarramah, a place of worship, a holy, blessed and sacred city, where prophets walked, lived, prayed, worshipped and preached and invited. And just like Mount Sinai, a sacred spot, where Allah spoke to his prophet, Musa alayhi salam, in the first verse, Allah through the fig and the olive, as a metaphor, refers to another sacred place where prophets lived, were born, preached, invited, and where they spoke to Allah and communicated with him. And through whom Allah communicated with his creation. And what is that place? It's actually the city of Jerusalem, Baytul Maqdis, through the fig and the olive. So by Baytul Maqdis, by Jerusalem, by Mount Sinai, by Makkah al-Mukarramah, these are the three things which Allah swears by. So what's the message of the oath? لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ التَّقْوِيمِ ثُمَّ رَدَدْنَاهُ أَسْفَلَ سَافِلِينَ Indeed, we have created man in the best mold. ثُمَّ رَدَدْنَاهُ أَسْفَلَ سَافِلِينَ Then we reduced him to the lowest of the low. That's that natural deterioration. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ Again, Allah says there is only one thing which curbs, which checks, which stops this natural decline, this decay, this deterioration. And what is that check? What is that stop? What prevents that deterioration and actually lifts a person? إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Except for those who believe and who do good deeds. 
Same here. وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ By time, indeed, man is in a state of great loss, except for those who believe and who do good deeds. Allah Azza wa Jalla has given... So, the only check, the only curb, the only thing that prevents decay and deterioration and decline is faith, belief and good deeds. Now, Allah Azza wa Jalla has given all of us a limited amount of time on earth. How do we use it? How do we spend that time? In a hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhi in his sunan, from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu an, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, <coughs> On the day of reckoning, a servant's feet will not shift from his place until he is questioned about five things. An umrihi fima afna. وَعَنْ شَبَابِهِ فِيمَا أَبْلَاهِ He will be questioned about his age, his life. Where did he spend it? His youth, where did he while away his youth? His wealth, where did he acquire it? Four, how did he dispense of it? And number five, his knowledge, what did he do with his knowledge? And understand. But the first two things concern us, which is a servant's feet will remain firmly planted and won't shift from his place on the day of judgment until he is questioned and until he satisfactorily answers these questions about five things. And the first one is his life, his age. What did he do with his age? And number two, his youth. Now, interestingly, why be questioned... Surely, if he's questioned about his life and his age, that includes his youth. So why be questioned specifically about youth again? That's because of its importance. Allah gives a person, man or woman, in their youth, the height of their strength and the best of their faculties. They are at their peak. Allah has given them Life, strength, intelligence, understanding, ability, limbs, organs, a body. What do they do with that body? Are they grateful to Allah or are they ungrateful to him? And one expression of gratitude is to use the gift that you have been given in the manner that the one who gives you the gift desires and wishes. Gratitude is not just verbal. Gratitude is also practical. If you give someone a gift, and your hope is that this valuable, expensive gift which I give this person, they will use it, remember me thereby, and they will use it for the purpose that I have given it to them. If you give someone a gift, and to your face, they say, thank you. They express the verbal gratitude and appreciation. They acknowledge the gift. But then they go away. You then later come to learn that after the verbal expression of gratitude and thanks, the gift was wasted. It was left aside, never used again, never referred to again. It was never used for the purpose that you gave the gift. In fact, worse, it was actually abused. How would you, as a donor of that gift, feel? Despite the initial verbal expression of thanks and gratitude, would you be pleased Would you be enlightened or would you be insulted, hurt and offended? Would you feel that I tried to win the favour of this person and I tried to please them? I tried to bring joy to their hearts and happiness to myself by giving them this gift and they wasted it and abused it. That love will turn to hate. That joy will turn to sorrow. That happiness will turn to great disappointment. And an insult and an offence. Because despite the verbal expression of gratitude, there was no practical gratitude. In fact, the opposite. There was abuse of that gift. Now let's place ourselves in the position of the recipient of Allah's blessings and gifts. Allah has given us eyes, ears, the senses, the heart, limbs of the body, the mind. And Allah has told us how to use these gifts in the obedience of Allah. 
Not just be verbally grateful for them, but also be practically grateful. One of the first verses which I recited in the beginning was, وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ Speaking about night and day, that we have made night and day two signs. And the verse ends with, and so that you may be grateful. Allah has given us night and day, Allah has given us time, so that we may put time to good use and be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What will our relationship be with Allah if we, far from expressing verbal gratitude and practical gratitude and using time as a gift and as a precious gift, if we actually abuse it, what will be our relationship with Allah? As time passes, we do undergo a natural deterioration. And that's why in one hadith, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa says, it's a hadith later by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and many others. This shows that, you know, with the passage of time, man naturally declines, deteriorates and grows worse. <coughs> Spiritually. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, يَحْرَمُ ibn Adam wa يَشِبُّ مِنْهُ ثْنَانِ الْحِرْسُ عَلَى الْمَالِ وَالْحِرْسُ عَلَى الْعُمْرِ He says, man grows old. But two things in him grow younger. As man grows old, two things in him grow younger. And the two things are his desire and greed for wealth and his greed and desire for a longer life. These two things, which are not commendable in the Quran and in the Hadith, these two things, lust and desire and greed for wealth and a longer life and attachment to the dunya, these aren't commendable things. And yet Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, as man grows older, rather than becoming more wise, more holy, more spiritual, these two things actually grow in their intensity and become younger in him. That shows that natural decline and deterioration. This is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa advised the companions, radiyallahu anhum, time and time again, how to spend their lives, to realize their true purpose in the world, not to waste their time. This is the most important thing, not to waste time. On Yawm al-Qiyamah, and not just on Yawm al-Qiyamah, before death, we will realize. That's why we have been advised to seize the opportunity to value time, to appreciate time, to capitalize on this time before we lose it, before something else comes. In Surah Al-Munafiqoon, Allah Azza wa Jal says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, la tulhikum amwalukum, wa la awladukum an dhikrillah, wa man yaf'al thalika fa'ulaika humul khasirun, wa anfiqu mimma rizaqnaakum min qabli an ya'tiya ahdakum al-mawt, فَيَقُولَ رَبِّ لَوْ لَا أَخَّرْتَنِي إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ قَرِيبٍ فَأَصَّدَّقَ وَأَكُمْ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ وَلَنْ يُؤَخِّرَ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِذَا جَاءَ أَجَلُهَا وَاللَّهُ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ Allah says, O oh believers, do not let your wealth and your children distract you from the remembrance of Allah. And whoever does this, i.e. allows himself or herself to be distracted by their wealth and their children, their loved ones, فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ Then these are the losers. Real loss is not the loss of wealth. It's not the loss of possessions. Real loss is when a person allows themselves to be distracted by their dunya from the remembrance of Allah and from their true purpose. The Qur'an says that, declares it categorically. Then the verses continue. وَأَنْفِقُوا مِمَّا رَزَقْنَاكُمْ And spend of that wealth which we have given you. Before death comes upon one of you, and then at the time of death, one of you says, رَبِّ لَوْ لَا أَخْرْتَنِي إِلَىٰ أَجْلٍ قَرِيبٍ Oh my Lord, give me some respite. Delay my death for just a short while. Why? For a صَدَّقْ So that I may give in charity. وَأَكُمْ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ And I may become one of the pious. We will only realize at the time of death, or close to death. Let us realize before that time comes, because Allah Azza wa Jal says towards the end, Allah will never delay the death of any soul when its fixed time arrives. And on the day of judgment, we will be told, Awalam 
Did we not give you enough life? Did we not give you enough of an age? Did we not give you such an age? That one who would take heed would have taken heed in that age. And the warner came to you. And what was the warner according to one interpretation and a number of narrations? That warner is old age. Old age is a warner. That your time has come. So Allah has given us time and an age. We should use that time and age now. Appreciate it. Value it. Capitalize on it. Instead of wasting it on other pursuits. When the time comes, then we will realize that we haven't collected or gathered anything for the Akhirah. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah relates a hadith recorded by Imam Bukhari and others. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam actually took hold of his shoulders. He held the shoulders of Abdullah ibn Umar. And he said to him, O oh Abdullah, كن في الدنيا كأنك غريب أو عابر سبيل. O oh Abdullah, be in the world as though you are a stranger or a traveler. Now, saying be a stranger or a traveler, there's no doubt. Let me explain. He said to him, be a stranger. What does that mean? When a new, when a new person, when a stranger arrives in a new place, they don't know anyone. They may come with the intention of settling there. But since they don't know anyone, they don't get involved in many things. They don't waste their time. They keep themselves to themselves. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, O oh Abdullah, treat yourself as a stranger in the world. This is not your home. This is not your place. You are new. You are a stranger. O oh Abir al-Sabil, in fact... Don't treat yourself as just a stranger. Treat yourself as a traveller. And what does a traveller do? If a traveller stops periodically at a service station, at a train station, at a bus stop, or a place of transit, or an airport, anywhere, does the traveller start preparing comforts and luxuries in that place of transit but they are only waiting for a few moments, at the most a few hours? Or do they tolerate the discomfort? Do they accept the lack of sleep, the lack of food and drink, in the hope and in the knowledge that my real destination is elsewhere? I will rest, I will enjoy my food, drink and my sleep when I reach my final destination. It would be stupid of me, illogical of me, senseless, to make this my home, knowing that I'm merely in transit. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa took hold of the shoulders of Abdullah ibn Umar and said to him, be a stranger or, in fact, be a traveller in the world, for you are in transit. And then in the same hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi in his sunan, there's an additional wording. وَعُدَّ نَفْسَكَ فِي أَهْلِ الْقُبُورِ And our Abdullah, so he took hold of his shoulders and he said to him, O Abdullah, be in the world as though you are a stranger or a traveller. وَعُدَّ نَفْسَكَ فِي أَهْلِ الْقُبُورِ And count yourself from the people of the graves. I, from now, consider yourself dead. <clears throat> consider yourself already one of the ones of the graves. This is not your abode. And that's how the Prophet ﷺ lived himself. Once the Sahaba visited him and he was lying down on a mat. It was a coarse mat. And the mat had left imprints on the Prophet ﷺ's noble back. So when the Sahaba, his bare back. So when they saw his bare back and the imprints of the coarse, rough mat... Sahaba radiallahu anhum exclaimed and said, O Messenger of Allah, if you had merely instructed us, we would have laid down some bedding for you, so that at least the coarse mat would have not imprinted its marks on your noble back. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa replied, Mali walid dunya, 
وما أنا والدنيا إلا كراكب استظل تحت الشجرة ثم راح وتركها. What was his reply? They said to him, if we had, if only we could, you could have told us, we would have laid down some bedding so that the coarse mat would not have left its imprint on your noble back. He said, مالي وللدنيا. What connection do I have with the dunya, with the world? I am my example. Is that of a traveller who was travelling, who took shade and rest beneath a tree. Then once he had rested, he rose and he continued with his journey. The Messenger of Allah described his life on earth as a sojourn, as a journey, and as a period of waiting beneath a tree. Only two weeks ago in Bukhari, or last week actually, in the Hadith of Bukhari, we covered the Hadith. Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, relates a Hadith. He says the from Sayyidina Ali, well, he says, uh, the, the hadith says, that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam went to visit his noble daughter, Fatima radiallahu anha. When he arrived at her house, she was inside, Ali radiallahu anha wasn't at home. But when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam arrived at the door of his own daughter's house, he turned back, and returned home. When Ali radiallahu anhu arrived later, Fatima radiallahu anha told him that the Prophet, my father, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, came, but he never entered the house. He arrived at the door and then he returned. So Ali radiallahu anhu went to the went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and inquired, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam told him the reason. The Messenger ﷺ had come to his daughter's house to visit his daughter. But when he arrived at the daughter's house, there was a curtain covering the doorway of his daughter's house. And the curtain had colourful patterns. So when the Prophet ﷺ saw the colourful patterns of a curtain covering the doorway of his daughter's house, he found that curtain with its colourful patterns too worldly. And distracting, and he exclaimed, Mali walid dunya, what connection do I have with the world? And just seeing the curtain, he turned round and returned home. Imagine, just a curtain with colourful patterns, he found too worldly, and he made the same exclamation, Mali walid dunya, what connection do I have with the world? Then Fatima radiallahu anha said, Let the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam instruct me with whatever he wishes and I will do it. So Ali radiallahu anhu asked him, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Tell her to remove it and send it to the house of such and such a family for whom it will fulfill, fulfill their need, who are in need. So Fatima radiallahu anha removed the curtain with colorful patterns and sent it to a needy family. Imagine the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam disassociated himself from the world and he wished the same for his own family. And he saw a colourful curtain and he found it too worldly. That's how he lived. That's how he, that's how he instructed the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So he told Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum, oh Abdullah, holding his shoulders, he said, be in the world as though you are a stranger or a traveller. And consider yourself from the people of the grave. And Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, he would then, whenever he would relate this hadith, he would tell his students. And Imam Mujahid, one of his students, says that Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma would relate this hadith to me, and then he, he related this hadith to me. And then he said, he said to me, to his student, student Mujahid, he said, when you see the morning, don't wait for the evening. And when you see the evening, don't wait for the morning. And take from your good health to prepare for your illness. And take from your life to prepare for your death. And then he told Mujahid, he said, because, O oh Abdullah, you don't even know what your name will be tomorrow. I, when evening arrives, in one narration it says, فَلَا تُحَدِّثْ نَفْسَكَ بِالصَّبَاحِ Do not whisper to your soul for the arrival of the morning. And when the morning comes, do not whisper to your soul about the arrival of the evening. I.e., at any moment your death could arrive. 
So prepare yourself. That's why the Prophet ﷺ told him, وَعُدَّ نَفْسَكَ فِي أَهْلِ الْقُبُورِ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْقُبُورِ And count yourself from the people of the graves. There are many verses which tell us about this. Many ahadith. Take from your life and prepare. In one hadith, Prophet ﷺ says beautifully, Imam Hakim relates this hadith in Zal-Mustadrak and so to others. From Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas Rasulullah whilst advising someone said to him, a companion, اغتنم خمسا قبل خمس. Value, appreciate and capitalize on five things before the arrival of five. Value five things before the arrival of five. Number one, shababaka qabla haramik. Value youth, value and capitalize on your youth before the arrival of your old age. Number two, wasihataka qabla saqamik. And capitalize on your health before the arrival of your sickness. Number three, and value, appreciate, and capitalize on your wealth before your poverty. Number four, and value, appreciate, and capitalize on your free time before your preoccupation. And number five, and value, appreciate, and capitalize on your life before your death. Words of advice from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Value your time. Appreciate, value and capitalize on these things. Your youth before your old age. Do what you can now. What are you waiting for? (coughs) We always have these plans. I'll do this then. And before you know it, one's death comes. The saying in English, what's life? Life is what happens when you're too busy planning other things. Life is actually what goes by and what happens whilst we're too busy planning other things. And this has been mentioned by the Prophet ﷺ in a hadith. He once drew a box. He took a stick and on the ground, in the sand, the Prophet ﷺ drew a rectangular box. And on the outer borders, on the side, he drew lines intersecting the outer border. So imagine a box. On the outer border, he drew intersecting lines. And then he drew a long line from the bottom, cutting all the way through. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, this box is man's life. And these intersecting lines on the sides, these are the calamities, tests, trials, tribulations, and desires which strike him. Sorry, the line is life, and the box, and he says, if these do not defeat him, then death defeats him. We have a limited amount of time. And in that limited amount of time, we should question ourselves, what are we doing, what are we pursuing, for whose sake and for what? And if we just reflect on these five things that the Prophet said, seize the opportunity, value and appreciate five things, and capitalize on five things before five. One, your youth before your old age. And a person's young, a person can do things, a person has the strength, the ability to do ibadah, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This idea that we will worship Allah in old age, and young age, youth, and the rest of one's life is to be spent earning, doing other things, pursuing other goals and objectives. What guarantee is there that a person will actually survive till the end? So, shababaka qabla haramik, value your youth before the arrival of old age. And number two, wasihataka qabla saqamik, and your health before your sickness. 
before sickness comes, appreciate the gift of good health and worship Allah in that good health. This is why the Prophet said in the hadith later by Abdullah ibn Abbas, There are two gifts of Allah, two blessings, in which many people are at a great loss. As-sihha, health, wal-farah, and free time. And if we look at the words maghboon, maghboon doesn't actually originally mean at a loss, it means deception. Again, it's to do with trade and commerce. Maghboon is someone who's been swindled, who's been cheated, who's been hoodwinked, who's been made to pay something extortionate for something trivial. So if someone's been deceived, hoodwinked, misled, and swindled in a deal, that person is known as maghboon. So again, the Prophet ﷺ uses the language of trade, buying, selling and commerce to help us understand. So the original meaning is not lost, the original meaning is deceived, hoodwinked, duped. Imagine how we would feel if we paid an extortionate amount of money for something which is worthless. And we are duped by someone in that trade, in that deal. Imagine our anger how foolish and how silly we would feel. Well, the Prophet ﷺ uses the same word, maghboon, that many people have actually been duped, deceived, hoodwinked. They've been sold short, and they've suffered a great loss of profit. Not in wealth, not in trade, not in commerce, not in possessions, but about two things which they have for themselves. And the two things are health and free time. They waste their health. They are at a loss and they've been duped about their health. And they are losing the value of their health and they are losing the value of their free time. Many people are at a loss and they've been duped and deceived and they've been sold short when it comes to their health and when it comes to their free time. So the Prophet ﷺ says, take from your health now and appreciate it. Before the arrival of your sickness. And number three, value, appreciate, and capitalize on your wealth before your poverty. Now, interesting question. We all make later worship, practicing, observance, being good, contingent on becoming financially stable. So we all have this idea that let me earn enough, let me achieve this, let me do that, let me finalize this, let me settle down, let me earn enough, and then I will be able to do A, B, and C. We always make other things contingent on our financial stability. What we euphemistically call financial stability is actually wealth. But how much wealth is sufficient? So when the Prophet ﷺ says, when value your wealth before your poverty, we may say to ourselves, well, I'm not actually wealthy at the moment. So how does this apply to me? The truth is, every one of us is wealthy enough. If you have food in your stomach, water, and a shelter no matter how meagre, even for one day and night, you are wealthy. We are wealthy. Otherwise, how much is enough? I remember reading an article a few years ago, and that was a few years ago, not just recently, a few years ago. They were talking about the measure of wealth and richness. How much do you need to own in order to join the rich club? And this was a few years ago, and the article actually said, well, millionaires are no longer considered rich. You're not in the rich club, and it was about the UK. You're not in the rich club in the UK, even if you're a millionaire. So they interviewed a number of wealthy people, and since there's this idea, there's this club mentality that if you're rich enough, then you belong to the rich club. So the question was, how much do you need to own and possess now to belong to the rich club? And this was a few years ago, undoubtedly, the price has risen since. And do you know what the measure of wealth was? In order to join the rich club or to be considered amongst the, as one of the rich club, a hundred million pounds.
That was a few years ago. So if, they were saying if someone actually has 60 million, 70 million, 80 million, they're still not considered rich. So everyone's still trying to earn more. And that's that famous hadith laid by Imam Bukhari and many other authors of hadith. Prophet sallallahu <coughs> says it beautifully. If man, if the son of Adam had a valley of gold, he would desire a second. And if he had a second valley of gold, he would desire a third. And nothing can fill the vacuum in man except for the soil of the earth. I, his desire to earn more, to possess more, will never end until he is buried. And the soil of the earth eventually fills that need and that vacuum in him. And we spend our entire lives earning, working hard, slaving away. For what? For what purpose and for which end? As I mentioned before, Prophet Abdullah ibn Shakhir relates that the Prophet was reciting Al-Hakum al-Takathur, the surah, that Takathur, rivalry and one-upmanship has distracted you, and this will remain the case, Hatta Zurtum al maqabi a verse of the Qur'an, until you visit the graves. Then the Prophet said, Man says, my wealth, my wealth. But he has no wealth, except what he has eaten, and therefore expired. Or what he has worn and worn out. Or what he has given in charity and therefore sent ahead for himself. He doesn't own any other wealth besides this. And then the Prophet ﷺ says in one narration of the hadith, وَمَا سِوَى ذَلِكَ فَهُوَ ذَاهِبٌ وَتَارِكُهُ لِلنَّاسِ And whatever else there is apart from these three things, then he is about to go, or it is about to go, and he is leaving it for other people. It's a beautiful hadith with a very profound meaning, quite simple. If someone has a million pounds of liquid cash in their bank account, he or she and others may think they are rich. But the Prophet ﷺ says, he says, my wealth, my wealth, always trying to protect it. It doesn't belong to him. What belongs to him is what he's actually eaten in his name. He's acquired it, he's consumed it, he's expired it, he's exhausted it, he benefited from it. It nourished him and it's gone. That belonged to him. Another thing that belonged to him is his clothes, which he wore and wore out, since he made good use of them. They belong to him. Or anything which he has given in charity, and he secured the reward of that charity for himself in the akhirah. Apart from that, anything else, even if it's a million or a hundred million, he spends his night and day worrying about it, grieving over it, protecting it, being possessive of it. In fact, it possesses him, but it doesn't belong to him. He's actually looking after it, worrying about it, losing, sleepless, uh, losing sleep over it, spending sleepless nights, so that he can die and others may take it after him. It doesn't belong to him. A very profound hadith. So we spend our entire lives in this pursuit. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, Appreciate your wealth now before your poverty. If we think that we are not rich now, how much is actually rich? Before we stop, before we slow down, before we spend time on things that really matter. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa says, The fourth thing is, Appreciate and capitalize on your free time before your preoccupation. And finally, Value your life before your death. On Yawm Al-Qiyamah, we will be questioned about our life, about our time. We will be specifically questioned about our youth. Where did we spend our youth? Once Prophet ﷺ was walking past a companion's house, and part of the house had become uh, weak, and it may even have collapsed because of the rain, since it had simple... Uh, homes, and he was repairing a corner of the house. So the Prophet ﷺ walked past and he said to him, what are you doing? And he said, Ya Rasulullah, this has been severely damaged, I'm repairing it. The Prophet ﷺ said, Al-amru a'jala min dhalik. 
that the matter is swifter than even this. I.e., maybe you are preoccupied in repairing a shack. But the matter, i.e., the true matter of life, of reality, of death, of reckoning, may be even swifter than this. How do you know? It may strike you before this. So, indeed, we have the gift of time. But are we at a loss or are we profitable in that time? The truth is, Allah declares, By time, indeed, man is in a great loss. And that means natural decline, decay and deterioration. And there's only one way to stop that decline, to stop that decay, stop that deterioration. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Except for those who believe and who do good deeds. وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالْحَقِّ And who counsel one another to the truth. وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالصَّبْرِ And who counsel one another to patience and perseverance. I say patience and perseverance because sabr in Arabic doesn't just mean patience, i.e. in the face of adversity and calamity. Sabr in Arabic means patience and perseverance. It means both. That means remaining in a good state, remaining steadfast in the face of adversity and calamity. And the meaning of patience, the meaning of sabr, is not just patience as we know it, but it means remaining steadfirm and steadfastness on the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even in difficulty, even in adversity. And there are verses of the Qur'an that show that. And in fact, in the Hadith and the Qur'an, in the Arabic language, sabr means much more than just patience as we understand it in other languages. So, sabr, who counsel one another and exhort one another to patience and perseverance. This is the only thing which checks a person's deterioration, decay, decay and decline. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. May Allah make us as amongst those may Allah make us amongst those who value the life, the age and the time which Allah has given us. May Allah make us amongst those who are not at a loss when it comes to the life and the time that we have been given. May Allah make us amongst those who are mu'mineen, who do who do good deeds. May Allah make us amongst those who counsel one another to the truth and to patience and perseverance. As I said, and I'll end with this, the, it's a very short surah, but if only we reflected on its meaning, Imam Shafi'i rahmatullahi alayhi said, if people were to reflect only on this surah, lower si'atum, this surah alone would be sufficient for them. And the companions, the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, some of them, when they would meet before parting company, and before saying their final farewell and their final salam, they would actually recite the surah of the Qur'an to each other as a reminder. It's full of meaning. I have hardly done anything approaching justice to even a portion of the surah, but I pray that Allah enlightens us with, with the words of the Qur'an and with its meaning and message. وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ وَسَلَّمُ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ وَرَسُولِهِ This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.